Hey, I missed you last week. My wife and I were in Rogers, Arkansas with uh, our grandchild, and uh, I did, he did send a picture to say hello to you. Uh, he's 10 months old. He's a city boy, so we're teaching him how to be country to climb a tree, and that's his first step of 10 months there, or tree climbing. And then we tried to eat grass, too. Uh, you know, country, country people have grass in their mouth. Well, well, he tried it there on the left one. He didn't like it in the second one, and he's just obeying pops in the last one, though he spit it out there at the end. But anyway, hey, listen, great to see you today. We have been in a series called Call to Fall. Call to fall. Fall is a calling into prayer. Fall on your knees and, and pray and begin to seek the Lord. And the purpose of this series is simply to help you have a more meaningful prayer life. Uh, we all know we need to pray, we should pray, but for most of us, for most of our lives, we don't do much praying. And I, I suggest it's for this reason. We're not quite sure how. We know that when we're in trouble, we need to talk to God. We want God to help us. We ask God. But there's something more to prayer than just telling God, I need some help. Uh, if I could share anything with you that I want to help you establish this, it was the Lord's Prayer. And if you remember, we used a ladder. And uh, uh, this is how I pray every day of my life. It gives me both structure and spontaneity. When the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 6, teach us how to pray, here's what he said. And I want you to think of six steps in your prayer life. It starts every morning is an introduction with our Father who lives in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You're coming to God as his child. You're coming in his faith. And this idea of being hallowed, it's, a, it's an invitation to thank God and to worship God. Then you, and you can take as much time on any of these steps as you need to. Like I said, if you've got 10 minutes or an hour, uh, this steps two, three, and four, yeah, one, two, three, four are petitions. And the last one is how we close. To you be the glory and the honor and the power. There's a sense not only of worship, but of expectation that God's going to do it. But I want to remind you is this first step was a prayer of petition. It is, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Now, in my own prayer life, uh, if I don't have this model, my first thought is, if I'm having trouble finances in my marriage or whatever, I instantly, uh -oh, instantly want to step right up here. And there's something unnatural starting there. It starts with, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. And it kind of takes the eyes off me and onto the Lord. Then it's daily bread. This is the money that you need. It's your job. It's your health. It's strength. It's peace. This one is a big one. Forgive me what I do wrong, and, I've, and I want to forgive other people. This step is keep me from temptation and deliver me from the evil one. If you're having a problem slipping into the world or into sin, this is a big one. Of course, we close with praise. But anyway, if you didn't get this little handout, this will teach you how to do this. I want you to have one. Ushers, help us out here. If uh, you'll lift your hand, uh, an usher, I think they're doing the offering right now, but they will start, when they start moving around the room, lift your hand up, and, and they'll make sure they get you one there. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 16 is the essence of our series it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power. Lift your hand. Now they're making their way through. They'll give you one. It has great power as it is working. Uh, now today I want to talk to you about how to pray in a crisis. Several weeks ago we talked about keys to answered prayer. Then it was unanswered prayer. 
Today we'll talk about how to pray in a crisis. And if I can paint this background, I'd like to. A couple of pictures I want you to see. You don't hear much about this in the news. But several weeks ago, our president uh, set up a peace summit with the president or the dictator, I guess, of North Korea. And uh, the fruit of that summit, you can see on the pictures on the left and the right, the president of South Korea and North Korea are shaking hands. Uh, there's even one with them hugging, I think, that they might show up there. Now, you might say, well, what's the big deal about that? I'll tell you what the big deal is, friend. The Korean War was fought in the 1950s, early 50s. Over a million people lost their lives. There was never a peace treaty signed, and there was a border between North and South erected. It is the most dangerous border of any two countries in the entire world. Uh, this border has not only barbed wire, it has uh, 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 tank traps, it has a minefield. And in North Korea, there are over a million soldiers, North Koreans, on that line. Uh, there have been over a thousand conflicts at this border, 50 serious incidents. And the people in South Korea that represent freedom, again, the North was supported by communist China, by Russia. It was a communist influence. America came in with democracy and freedom. So the people on the South, much more prosperous, but yet a dictator in the North has eight to 10 nuclear weapons. Also in North Korea, there are over 300,000 Christians like you and I. They believe in Jesus Christ, but it is the most persecuted nation in the world for believers. If the government finds out you're a Christian in that nation, not only will you be thrown in jail or killed, but three generations of your family. So how many would say, that sounds like a crisis to me, Pastor? That's a crisis. Well, after this peace summit, some amazing things have been happening. Families in the north and south that have been separated for 60 years are being reunited. Plans are underway to link roads and trains so the nations can connect. They're addressing deforestation in North Korea because they have obliterated the planet when they, when they got rid of, of any sense of capitalism and economic sanity. Uh, the two Koreas marched together under a single flag in the Asian Games in Indonesia. Talks are underway that North Korea would denuclearize. I mean, all this is good news. Uh, then I read something this week that, that, that touched me deeply. Uh, one of the things that has happened is they have returned the remains of American soldiers that died in the Korean War. You say, well, what's the big deal? I'll tell you the big deal. There's a man, his name is Charlie McDaniel. He's a, uh, he's a veteran, but he's 71 years of age. When he was three years old, his dad led, went off to war in Korea and was killed. And the only memory this man now who's 71 has of his daddy is in his mind, he said, for 68 years. He said, I remember daddy coming home from work. I, I ran out to him. Daddy picked me up. He held me. He carried me. And that's the only memory I have of my father. When the army called last week to tell me a dog tag belonging to his father was among the remains, this dear man said, a, 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 a grown man on the outside, but a little boy on the inside, he said, I was overwhelmed with emotion. 68 years later, I cried. All these things happening, and here's my question, did President Trump do all this? I mean, he initiated the summit, I'm grateful for that, but did he do, he, did, is he the one responsible for this, or is there something behind the scenes going on before the summit? Because in case you've forgotten, North Korea was going to back out before it happened. ChristianHeadlines.com tells us that Christians in South Korea were fasting and praying for the peace summit. There was a city just south of the border. Pastors held an all-night prayer vigil. Politicians fasted and prayed. And North Korean brothers and sisters were praying as well. So I wonder, in the grand scheme of things, should credit be given to the power of prayer? 
The Bible says in the book of James 5, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now today I want to talk with you about how to pray in a crisis. Uh, listen, if you didn't have shoes this morning that matched your outfit, that's not a crisis. That's inconvenient. You can solve that today. You can go there having a sale at Dillard's and you can solve that problem. A crisis has the potential to take your life. A crisis is a doctor's report that grabs your attention. A crisis is a child that runs away from home and you can't find them. A crisis is having to file bankruptcy. I want to talk about a crisis, and I want to tell you, I want to look at it in three, from three vantage points. The first one is a biblical story about how people in a crisis, God answered their prayers and the crisis stopped. It's like the, they were marching towards death and just right there, it stopped. And there were five things they did that I think you could learn. I'd write these down. The second thing I want to talk about, though, is sometimes we pray in a crisis and the crisis wins. The devastation happens, and my question is, what do we do then? And the third thing we'll talk about today is we'll look at the example of Jesus, and we'll see that sometimes God doesn't make the crisis go away, but God gives us strength to go through it. So let's explore this topic together. Uh, I've entitled it, How to Pray in a Crisis, and let's begin with this first one. Prayer can release spiritual power to stop the crisis. If you have a Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, go there quickly. Um, and we'll look at a man named King Jehoshaphat. Now, the context for prayer, he's a righteous man. And again, our verse in this series was the prayer of a righteous man, powerful and effective. Uh, how many know we set ourselves up for an answer by walking with God each day? Jehoshaphat is the king of, uh, of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Uh, he's a good man. He's restored godliness in the nation. Uh, so uh, he has God's attention. But we're going to see five things that caused a crisis to be broken. Number one is fasting. Uh, number two is the word of God. Number three is faith. Number four is obedience. Number five is worship. And I want you to see all these elements that were a part of their prayer that helped them survive the crisis. Second Chronicles chapter 20, messengers came and told King Jehoshaphat, a large army is coming against you. This is the crisis. When the uh, Google Earth of their day let them know how many people were marching against them, it was more than they could fight. How many know a good man might take three or four people coming their way, but how many know when you're outnumbered, you know you're outnumbered? And these people coming against them, they didn't want to get along. They didn't just want their stuff. They wanted to annihilate them. So it was a crisis of astronomical proportions. And in a very, very real way, it was spiritually motivated. In other words, it was some demonic, some evil thing that was attacking the people of God. Uh, a large army is coming against you. Naturally, he was afraid. But notice what he did. He decided to ask the Lord what to do. And listen, I am grateful for uh, the banker that loans money, grateful for the credit card that'll up the limit, grateful for, you know, the medicine the doctor can provide and the surgery and, and all these things that professionals bring us. But before we seek the professional, ask the Lord what to do. Go to the Lord first, but notice what it says. And then the king announced that everyone in Judah should... Fast. Say it again. Fast. It's almost like a curse word, isn't it? <laughs> during this special time of prayer to God. So here's the first of the five lessons. Fasting will add fervency to your prayer. 
Uh, it's like Red Bull. I mean, how many know there's a difference between water and Red Bull? There's a difference between, you know, water and uh, a Mountain Dew. Uh, if you're driving somewhere and you're about to fall asleep, you need some caffeine. How I many you know you get a little bump and, and, and you keep going? Fasting is that bump. Uh, by fasting, we mean abstaining from pleasure. It might mean in the evening, if your ritual, your routine is to go have dinner and to, and to watch television and, 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 and go to bed or read a book before you go to bed, well, that night you fast and maybe not only do you miss the meal, but you turn the TV off and you spend, a, a, you spend special time seeking God. Uh, fasting helps us focus more on prayer and seeking the Lord. Uh, it not only shows God we're serious, but it, it helps us hear God more clearly. Uh, fasting will engage the enemy in spiritual warfare. It, it amplifies your prayers. Uh, fasting is, is not unusual in the Bible. It happens frequently. The book of Ezra, chapter 8, Ezra was a priest, which means he was teaching the people. Uh, he was going uh, from, from the land of captivity after the exile. He was going back to Jerusalem, and he was helping rebuild the nation. But the problem is he had a long journey through the wilderness, and there were thieves out there. There were robbers it's like you and I walking through the toughest part of town in the middle of the night. How many know in most major cities in America, you can walk on most streets uh, anytime during the daytime, but there's some places you don't want to go at night. Well, this is one of those places, but notice what he did. Uh, Ezra chapter 8, by the Ahava Canal, they stopped. He said, I gave orders for all of us to fast, fast and humble ourselves before God. And then we prayed so he'd give us a safe journey and protect us as we traveled, and God heard our prayers. So this is the first lesson we see here. Uh, the second was in verse 6. It's the way that Jehoshaphat prayed. Now, well, let's read it, and then we'll talk about it. This is how he began his prayer. So imagine you've got a, a, a scene. You've got several thousands of people gathered together. He calls them to prayer, and this is the words out of his mouth. Lord God of our ancestors, you are God in heaven. You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. You have power and strength so no one can stand against you. So this lesson is faith believes that God can and will act on our behalf. If I'm in a crisis, my natural tendency is to do this. This is the daily bread step. It has nothing to do with the kingdom. All it says is, God, there's trouble out here. And if you don't show up, we've got problems. Lord, please, I'll do anything if you skip me out of this. I'll even, I'll go into the ministry. I'll, I'll stop doing bad things. I'll only do good things. That's starting at step three. But here's what he did. He started right here, and he said, My father, you are the God that's stronger than anyone else. You, you watch over us. You care for us. We're the chosen people. We live in the promised land. You gave it to our forefathers, and you told us, Lord, you'd protect us because you're the God that created the world. You're the God that sustains the world. You're the God that holds all things together. Now, let me tell you what. You've got some faith as you're climbing up the ladder. This is the approach, and it's an approach of faith. Faith believes that God can and will act on our behalf. You say, Pastor, how do I get faith? The Bible says faith comes by Hearing and hearing the Word of God. The Bible has an inherent spiritual power about it. Now let's look at verse 9. After, after this entry, introduction into prayer, listen to the way they prayed. Now what they're going to do is they're going to quote what was the revelation of God. We might call the scripture, the promises of God, a prophecy that was given when the temple was dedicated hundreds of years earlier. 
So in their memory as a, as a nation, as a people, they remembered God's word. And listen to how he prayed, verse 9. God said, if trouble comes upon us, here's the crisis, war, punishment, sickness, hunger, if we stand before you in this temple where you have chosen to be worshipped, and we will, there's the prayer, we'll cry out to you and we're in trouble, and then that next word is key, then you'll hear and save us. Here's the key words. If trouble comes, we cry out, then you'll hear and save us. That was not just a nice idea. That was a promise that God made with the covenant people. God, we have no power over this army. It's attacking us. We don't know what to do. We look to you for help. So here's a lesson, and I cannot emphasize it more strongly. Prayer based on God's word, God's promises, will release spiritual power in your life. There's something about this book that is hated by the world. I, an evangelist recently in Southern California had been doing conferences there for, for, I think, like 16 years. He simply made a nice billboard. He's holding a Bible, a copy of the Bible. And uh, in it, there's a sense that he's inviting you to these crusades. It's no condemning words, no nothing. But people in the mall complained about it because they didn't want the Bible to be seen or talked about or addressed at all. It is God's Word. It is a holy book. But the Bible says of itself in Hebrews that the Bible is the words of God are strong and powerful. They are living. They are active. They have the potential to infuse life. They have the potential to produce change. For God so loved the world that it gave my life. I'm 19 years of age. I'm wild as they come. I could probably outdrink you and, you know, are you with me today? My life was not headed on serving God. And all of a sudden, John 3, 16, for God so loved me that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in me would not perish but have everlasting life. And from that one word, a preacher came out of that. You say, how did that happen? It wasn't because I reasoned my way in. It's because God's word has power. Whether it's the written word of God, it could be a prophecy that's judged rightly. It could be a dream that God gives you. It just may be that sense of peace. But whatever it is, God's word has power. Now, let's go to verse 20, and I'm going to have to skip because of time's sake as we go quickly. Uh, after this prayer, a recognized prophet stood up and basically said this, God's going to deliver you and take care of you. You're not even going to have to fight. Stand still and watch the Lord work. Well, now notice what you see after that. I mean, no, that's a pretty good, pretty good word to hear when you're about to be killed, that God says, I'm going to help you. Jehoshaphat's army, though, went out in the desert of Tekoa early in the morning. So what's the significance of that, Pastor? Most of the time in a crisis, you're not going to get deliverance by staying in your bed with the covers over your head. Amen. Most of the time in the crisis, it's like two wings of a bird. I have my part to do. You can't fly with one. God has his part to do. He chooses not to fly with one. But when I am doing what he says, come on now, when I'm doing my part, God says I will do, he will do his part. I cannot underscore the, the importance of obedience when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something. I'll give you an example. I heard this testimony just this week at a pastor's conference. Uh, they were talking about the nation of India, and they were doing marketplace ministry there where they would take Christian American business people and bring them to India, and they were teaching about how to, how to, how to, how to, how to be a Christian in the business world. And they were talking about integrity and ethics, how important it was, and the room just started doing that. And they said, what's wrong? And they said, you cannot succeed in India as a business person unless you take bribes and make bribes, unless you do things under the table. And one brother stood up and said, I beg to disagree. 
He said, I was the largest cement contractor in India, and I was offered a contract to do the cement of the airport. And the government came to me, or whoever the officials came to me, and said, we'll give you this job, but you've got to give us so much money. And he became a Christian. And he said, well, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Now, this was the, this was the turning point. This was the job that would, whatever, get us out of debt, propel us, let us buy the vacation home or whatever. But he said, I can't, I can't do that because I'm a Christian. I'm an honest man. And they said, okay, we'll find someone else. Well, lo and behold, months later, they couldn't find anybody else that they could trust to do the job. They came back to him and gave him not only that job, but more work to do. And they said, we believe you're the only person that has the integrity to be able to do this work. So what am I saying? He obeyed God. He took a risky step. And your obedience has power in your life. Um. If we could digress a moment, how many know if you're in disobedience, you're going to end up in a crisis if you're a Christian. But it's God's discipline, and let me summarize, it's because He loves you. If you're like Jonah, God's called you to do something, and you said no. You know what the Scripture says there in Jonah 1.17? Jonah said no, he's running from God, and the Lord arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah. That which I shared before I preached... I believe to be a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit that someone, God's calling you to do something, but to this point you've said no. Listen now, you could be like a Jonah, and how many know God loves us enough that he'll get us back on track? The Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. Remember when he was in the ocean in the storm? He's inside the fish for three days and three nights, and then one of the greatest understatements in the Bible, then Jonah prayed to the Lord. I would suggest to you, if the world's most renowned atheist or in the whale belly, he would pray. He said, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you. Jonah said, in this place of forced humility, I'll offer sacrifices to you with, notice this, songs of praise, and I will... You know what that means? I'll obey. I'll do what you said. And the Bible says, instantly, the fish spit him out of his mouth. You see, sometimes our crisis is called by our choices. And instead of focusing on let your kingdom come, Jonah said, I don't like the Ninevites because they're going to they're judge Israel one day and I'm going to ignore your kingdom and I'm going to run away. And it cost him. But when we say yes to the Lord, listen, uh, when we do what God tells us to do, the crisis stopped, it could happen as well for us. Let's go back to this passage in verse 20 now and I want you to see the fifth lesson. They get up early in the morning, they obeyed. Uh, and then Jehoshaphat said, have faith in the Lord your God and you'll stand strong. Have faith in the prophets and you'll succeed. But then he did the strangest thing. The Bible says he chose men to be singers to the Lord to, praise. say it again, praise. to praise him because he's holy and wonderful. And as they marched in front of the army, they said, thank the Lord because his love continues forever. Now, verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes. Now, here's the next lesson. Worship that praises God before he acts is an act of faith that can stop a crisis. You see, Jonah worshiped in the whale's belly. Jehoshaphat worshiped before the crisis. And, and, and we also, uh, last week, Brother Jay taught you in Acts 16. Paul and Silas in prison for preaching Christ. The Bible says at midnight they're praying and singing hymns to God. 
There was a massive earthquake, and all of a sudden, the chains fell off. And I want to tell you, friends, these five things have the power to stop a crisis right where it is. In my own life, just recently, I've shared, I've shared publicly about what doctors just called a general anxiety disorder I had for several years. It was so overwhelming to me that probably 18 months of my life, I thought I was going to die every day. I cannot explain it to you, but it was just this intense sense of foreboding that something horrible is right around the corner. I would not want, I'd have to make myself get out of my house. I'd have to make myself get behind the wheel of my car or my truck. It was, it was horrible. And I had, thank God, I am so much better than I used to be, but it still lives in my life, kind of. It still hangs on. Well, this week, uh, this week we had a pastor's conference, and, and one of the men prophesied over me. He said, he said, as I was praying for you and your wife this afternoon, I saw a timeline. And the timeline had seven years, and those seven years were a time of crisis. Your wife had cancer. You had kind of a PTSD after that. But he said, those seven years are over, and I saw the hand of God reaching down to you to birth a change in your life, uh, uh, you know, a, a new season of your life. Well, how I many know that makes you feel pretty good? Yeah. Huh? I got up the next morning. Now, now, I want you to listen. I got up the next morning. It was, it, it was early. We'd been out late with pastors and all that. And I didn't have a long time to pray, but I started right here on this step. And I said, Father, I want to thank you that you've delivered me from this anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a little feeling still in the background because I was dreading that three-day conference because I didn't know if I could go through it. I felt like it's just going to be too much. I don't know if I can handle it. Now, you may think I'm a weenie, and I probably am, but, but, but I just didn't feel I could do it. And I had that feeling following me the whole time, but I got on my knees and said, thank you, God, that the past is over. Thank you, God, that a new day is coming in my life. I'm in the pastor's meeting that morning, and I felt that same familiar feeling come back. But this time, rather than getting ready to run out of the room, come on, make it go quick, take a pill or whatever, this time inside me now, I didn't do it out loud, but I just said, thanks, Lord, that you're with me now, and Satan's not going to take me back to where I was. See, it takes faith, and it takes a little bit of worship coming out of your mouths to get through this. It's more than a feeling. I got home that night. Listen, the conference was finished. I had a business meeting that afternoon. We had church that night. And after I got home with Linnell, I told her, I said, I could do the whole thing over again. I feel so good right now. So I'm telling you, friends, praising God before the answer comes is a vehicle where your faith is released to God. Now, listen, that was, that was, worth, the, uh, that was worth the entry fee this morning, whatever it was. Uh, now, now, let me shift gears. Will you give me about three or four extra minutes? Okay, one, two, three, four, five. That's all I need. Let me tell you the next, next two things about a crisis. Sometimes your prayer won't change the crisis. The question is, what do I do now? The context is 2 Samuel. You remember David, a man of God? He's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. But he was still a man. He's one day, he wasn't where he was supposed to be, and he was on a roof, and he saw this good-looking woman taking a bath, and he said, I want her. Took him into her home. They slept together, and she's pregnant. And then he goes to scheming. He tries to bring her husband home from war and let them sleep together. Didn't work. So then he kills her husband. And out of that adultery and murder, a baby's born. 
We pick up verse 15. The Lord caused the son of David in Bathsheba to be very sick. David prayed. He prayed to God for the baby. What else did he do? He fasted. He's amplifying his pursuit of God. He goes into the house. He stays there lying on the ground all night long. In other words, no TV, no music, no fun, nothing pleasurable, just crying out to God saying, God, please, please, please. In the morning, verse 19, David saw his servants whispering, and he knew the baby was dead. Now my question is, now what do you do? Now what do you do? Verse 20, he got up from the floor. He washed himself. He put on lotion. In other words, he's, you know, he's, he's getting ready. He changed his clothes, and he went to get drunk. He went out and bought some beer. What does beer come in now? What's the, what, I want to have this size up. When I was young, it was a six-pack. I, I want to sell it today. You were walking into a trap, and you caught yourself. They fell in last night and told me a 20-pack, I think. But, 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 but it, 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 isn't that the, the natural response? When God didn't answer my prayer, I say, forget it. They were scared he was going to commit suicide. Give up. Go back into the world. David didn't do it. Then he went into the Lord's house to worship. He didn't get what he wanted right here. But the next morning he got up and he started right here. And he probably said something like this. Lord, I know I'm not worthy, but you're a God who forgives. And there's a lot of people hurting right now, and I've sinned greatly. He wrote a whole psalm about it, Psalm 51. But you're still a God who's a God of mercy and a God of forgiveness. So I ask you to wash me and to cleanse me right now. And Lord, I ask you to help me keep going because I'm going to keep climbing my ladder. Now That's what David did. My question, though, is what will we do? He went into the house after that. He got something to eat. And his servant said, why are you doing this? When the baby was still alive, you fasted and you cried. But now he's dead. You get up and eat food. And David said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept because I said, who knows? Maybe, hopefully, whether the Lord will be gracious to me, the child may live. In other words, it's the best I know to do. It's faith. It's the Word of God. It's, it's fasting. Uh, it's obedience. It's worship. I did everything I knew to do. But now the baby's dead. Why, why should I fast? I can't bring him back to life. Here's the point. We live in a world that has evil in it. There's a world that when Adam and Eve fell away from God, when they turned their back on God, that evil was released in this world. And men like David sin, men like you and I sin, babies die. Come on. Everybody reaches an age where we die. It's the world we live in today. Sometimes all the praying in the world won't stop a crisis. But after the crisis, friends, the big question is, what do we do now? Do we give up on life and give up on God? David didn't do either one. He kept serving God in the midst of his pain, and we should do the same. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Let me close with the last one. Sometimes our prayers don't stop a crisis, but our prayers give us strength to go through it and find victory on the other side. Now, this is a big one. If I had my way, Every prayer I prayed, there wouldn't be any problems in the Miller household. Heck, there wouldn't be any problems in your household. None of us would be sick. We'd all have money. We'd never get divorced. Our children would always behave, and everything would be great. If I had my way, I would pray, and duck season would be 12 months out of the year. 
You'd hunt ducks in the morning and turkeys in the afternoon. Are, are you with me today? But prayer didn't always work that way. Sometimes prayer is the source of our strength. Now let me go Luke 22. It's just before the crucifixion. It's in the middle of the night. Jesus has shared a meal with his followers. He's 33 years of age. He's lived all his life knowing the destiny that's before him. But the closer it gets, the harder it gets. How many know when the root canal is scheduled for Thursday morning? You didn't like the appointment a week ago. But the closer it gets, come on. It's upon him. So he goes to the Mount of Olives. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he kneels down and prays. But listen to what he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But not my will, yours be done. He could have... He, he wanted to skip that step and just go right to that one and say, make it go away. You say, surely not Jesus. Yeah. Take this cup away from me, but your will be done. You see, this is why this step is first. Because this is where maturity happens. This is where life happens. This is where you join God's purposes on the earth. If I went to step three immediately, I don't know what. Let's just say I've only got a limited amount of money and I feel the Lord wants to, you know, wants me to help that missionary. I think we gave at least $6,000 last week to help them buy a car there in Haiti, you know, buy vehicles for their ministry. And the Lord maybe spoke to you, but you just got Max Prairie Wings, a uh, uh, duck, duck catalog in the mail. Come on now. And that $100 bill is already spoken from. Well, if my prayer life goes from here all the way to here, forget Haiti. But if I'll stop here, I'll make an investment for eternity. And chances are that God will bless me. And then it could well be that I could get two decoys next time. But even if I got none, I'm better off on that step. An angel, now listen, an angel from heaven appeared to Jesus and strengthened him. Now you would think he would have felt great. No. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that emotionally, physically, the crisis still was impacting him, but God gave him an ability to go through it. God gave him something supernatural. And I'm telling you, the same God works in human weakness like that today. I'm telling you, if you will approach God like that and pursue his will, you will find a strength to face whatever is before you. Nobody likes pain and suffering. Nobody likes to hurt. Jesus didn't either. And our first response, our natural response is to go right here and say, take the crisis and the problem away. But aren't you glad Jesus didn't do that? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't call the angels to rescue him from the cross? Aren't you glad he gave himself for us and to doing the will of God? And you and I we need to be careful that we don't start on step three just praying for comfort and oftentimes forgetting God's will. Listen, sometimes prayer doesn't change the circumstances it changes us so we can deal with the circumstances. Wow. Let me illustrate that. And let me honor my wife today. Um, she had breast cancer, as several of you know, many of you know. Uh, five years ago, she's cancer-free now. We praise the Lord for that. But she also got a prophecy during our, our, our pastor's conference. And he said something like this. He said, during that season of crisis, now you think about it, surgery, chemo, radiation. He said to her, he said, most people 
would have withdrawn and by that stayed home, had fun, no pressure, no work, just try to survive. But he said, you didn't do it. What you did is you faced it, and not only did you face it head on, you continued to serve the Lord. You got on an airplane and you went to Haiti to a ladies' conference, even though your oncologist didn't want you to go. And you began to, in the middle of the night when you couldn't sleep, rather than taking another pill, you got out your notebook and you began to blog helping other women who were going through the pain of cancer. And now to this day, listen, thank God she's healed, thank God she's healthy, but to this day, thousands of people around the world who are going through the same dark valley have been able to get a little strength from what Linnell went through. Come on, she found God's strength. A crisis, prayer in a crisis, and I'll summarize this way and then we're going to close. In a crisis, listen, if it's before you, I would just do just like Jehoshaphat. (laughs) I'd go to praying. And if it was serious enough, I'd do some fasting. I'd get some spiritual people to fast with me in agreement. I would build my faith. I would, I would see the God who is able to do you know, more, exceedingly abundantly more than I can ask. I would have faith. I would declare God's word. I would obey anything the Lord told me to do. I would worship and praise the Lord before it happened. But if the crisis still overtook me, the crisis took it all away, I'd be like David. I'd return to step one in the house of the Lord. And I would continue my journey on life because life's not over. Sometimes the crisis, friend, you go through, we're like Jesus. We're in that difficult place. We don't want to be there, but we're there. And we pray and we receive strength from heaven to face whatever tomorrow may bring. Come on, give him a good hand today. He is worthy of our praise. Well, here's how we're going to close this morning. Uh, I want all, we'd like to commission all the educators. Uh, We prayed for the kids earlier, but how many know if you don't, if you've got kids and don't have teachers and principals, you don't, you don't have a schoolhouse. And uh, we want to pray for all you that are in education now, whether it's in elementary, high school, college, if you're a student, I'm sorry, if you're a teacher, uh, if you're a principal, a custodian, come on up here on the state, uh, on the floor here. We want to pray for you today. You're a teacher, you're, you know, you're a part-time teacher, you're a substitute, you're a coach, uh, you're involved in any way in, in education uh, of our youth. Uh, give them a big hand as they're, as they're coming today. Yeah, give them a big hand. We're proud of you today. Some of the most underpaid people in, the, in America today. Now I want you to look at me just a second, guys, before, and then you can... Can, uh, can face them if you like. You're on a missions field. You're a missionary. Last week we had a missionary from Haiti come to our church. He was called to a nation. You're a missionary in a school. You're, you're, you're sent there by God. This is where you have your greatest influence. Fortunately, we live in, in, in an environment where, you know, God, Jesus, the Bible is off, most usually embraced and if not embraced, tolerated. Many, many parts of the country it's not. Many parts of the country you, you couldn't have a Bible in a classroom. Many parts of the country teachers post a biblical view on their Facebook page and they're fired. It's true. But yet here it's different. And uh, we want to pray today because you're going to contact students, whether they're children or whether they're teenagers or whether they're young adults, you're going to shape their lives in a godly way. You're going to talk to kids whose parents are going through a divorce and they have nowhere else to go. 
You're going to talk to kids who have never been taught the difference between right and wrong. You're going to talk to kids who are so caught up in the things of the world and no one's there helping them and they're just going crazy, but you're going to be a stabilizing influence in their life. For many of you, you'll have opportunity to pray with these kids. Uh, I, to my knowledge, every school district here in our area allows Bible clubs to be in their schools. Thank God for that. You may be a teacher that supports one, that starts one. If you'd like to, you could talk to one of our youth pastors, Pastor Cole. He'll help you get it going. Pastor Mike years ago started what's called RPM, Revolutionary Prayer Movement in schools. We do, we do, we do uh, uh, assemblies in schools and, and principals invite us to come in. Uh, you're front lines people and uh, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for what you're doing to shape young boys and young girls and to make them into men and women of God. And we want to pray that God would anoint you for the task. You see, just as this is my task and calling to open God's Word and teach it on a weekend experience, that's what I'm called to do. You're called as a missionary in the classroom. And we just want to say thank you, and we want to bless you today. Lord, I ask you to lift your hand towards them with me. And, and the reason we do this, in the Bible there's the doctrine of the laying on of hands, which is simply a spiritual impartation. It's an agreement. But Lord, we want to pray for the men and women that are before us today. Thank God that they're called, and thank God that they're equipped, and thank God that they will bring the light of Christ wherever they go. And it's my prayer today, Lord, that you would smile on them. It's my prayer, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, show them how to solve the difficult issues that you would give them an entrance into the heart of hurting, defiant, rebellious kids. Lord, help them to be able to counter the darkness of the world with light. I just pray that you would keep them from danger and evil and harm, and I pray that there would never be one act of violence on our campuses. And if someone comes with violent intent, I pray the Holy Spirit would reveal that, Lord. Reveal that to the men and women here and others in the school system so it stops before it started. But we bless each one today, and we pray you do them good as we commission them this day in Jesus' name. Everybody say it? Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, before you go, Pastor Mike has something he wants to say to you. Okay, for all those of you in uh, in public school system, uh, we want to help you be a blessing. And so we got a $50 gift certificate, uh, or not gift certificate, but uh, Walmart cards where you can go and help some students that you might know that really need some help. Uh, getting them some school supplies. So all we ask to do is if you'll just stop in the foyer and just kind of sign up your name, your school, and your grade so we can kind of keep track of where it's going. And if you're in a situation where you're not in a public school system, just talk to myself or, or uh, Pastor Linnell, and if there's a special situation, we can help. But otherwise, let's give them one more hand. God bless you. And if you can just sign up in the foyer. You know, we do have pack, backpacks that we passed out a bunch of them throughout the city and through our kids' zone. So if you know of a need for a backpack, go through our kids' zone ministry and they can help, you know, hook you up in that area. As we close, one last question before you go. Are you right with God? Do you know Him? I mean, if you died today, are you positive you'd go to heaven? And you will be when you have a relationship. You have that, that knowing where you'll spend eternity. And so if that's you and you're not sure you've gotten off track, if you just meet me at the cross when we're done, uh, we can say a prayer together because that's where it starts. You just got to give God permission to come on the inside. And then a relationship will start. And maybe you've just been trying religion. That's our best effort to reach God. But at some point, you need to ask Him to come into your life. And I'll tell you, that's when things will change. That's when you'll have a peace. That's when you begin to have a sense of purpose in your life because God has a plan for you. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Our altar team's coming up. If you want prayer for anything before you go, but especially if you need to get right with God, stop over at the cross. God bless you.